How in the world do two men who have been beaten, chastised from government officials, go to prison on anything that, well, nothing. They deserve nothing to be in prison for. How do they have joy? That's an amazing thing that many people, they seek during their lives. They want that kind of joy. They want the kind of happiness that when trials come their way, they know there's something much greater that gives them a walk that many seek after. And, and we're talking about this kind of joy in light of the fact that when we are followers of Christ, not from the mundane little inconveniences of life, but as we follow our Savior and live the way He lived, which is kind of a scary thing, to live the way He did, that there can be that kind of joy. When in fact the world would look at that as an upside-down lifestyle. Can you imagine having people who things are going against them? And when I say joy, I'm not talking about the fact that you've been in prison and you get to just smile like, oh, man, this is just great. I was hoping they would do this to me. It'd make my week. And not from that standpoint. But the joy that there is this peace within you that actually emanates. It shows itself. And allows you to rejoice in the Lord. And allows you to, to do things that most people would not think of doing. And so, by virtue of following after Christ, we know there are going to be difficulties. There are going to be these trials that we're faced with. That's just part of the cost. We know that if we're following after Him, that's going to happen to us. But the thing is, as we look at these things, we need to know that that's necessary if, in fact, we're going to follow Him. We're told to be faithful unto death. And by being faithful, there are times when we're wrong. I mean, consider what goes on in the body of Christ. Human A, human B. That's enough right there. There's going to be trouble at some point. Someone's going to say something, think some way, do some action that will ultimately cause someone else to be upset with him. Whether that person is outside the body of Christ, or inside the body of Christ. It happens. But our faithfulness is essential as we walk with the Lord until death because we serve Him. And so there are going to be times when, when we're going to endure wrongs of this life, even after little inconveniences. Now, what I'm wanting to focus on are not just the inconveniences, but the actual walk with the Lord. We'll look at both sides and see that we can have joy. That we can go through this life and whether they be mundane inconveniences or things that just irritate us, that we take a step back and say, you know, why am I irritated so easily? Why can't I have peace within me? No matter what goes on. And you'll see a much happier life. A much more fruitful service to our Lord. And so for all these toils and persecutions that we go through as faithful Christians, stop and think about this. There's no greater joy when you walk with the Lord. And that's in the midst of family members being persecuted for their faith in Christ Jesus. Imagine family members being put to death. This goes on in other parts of the world. We, we're just not seeing it in this country. This goes on in the name of serving the Lord. And people are coming themselves worthy to suffer shame for the Lord. Worthy to glory in the Lord knowing these difficulties come their way. I want us to, to note why we can have this joy. 
first of all, know that if, if we're going to serve the Lord, it is going to be because we have this knowledge, not just an academic mental knowledge, but we have this intimate knowledge that we're saved by the blood of our Savior. That's what allowed us to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning with that joy. A solemn moment, but a joyful one nonetheless, because of what He's done for us. And secondly, and this was in our prayer that was just given, that we have each other. The Lord has given us one another, even with all our failings, even with all the, I call it idiosyncrasies. I don't know where I heard that from, but that's what we have. <laughs> we do things that may irritate each other from that standpoint, those idiosyncrasies that make us who we are. In fact, I remember very clearly when coming back from my grandmother's funeral, we passed through St. Louis, and we went to visit with L.A. and Charlotte Stoper, who preaches at Kirkwood. And I remember at some point in our visit, I started cracking my ankle. Just one of those bad habits I had. And the first time it cracked, L.A.'s face just remembered. Because we were traveling in his car once to a gospel meeting, and he thought rocks were hitting the windshield. And I know the, that very loud sound that comes from my ankle. And now that I said, watch, you can be hearing it during the services. I've jinxed you now. But uh, I remember how, for some, that could be very irritating. And it's, there's nothing sinful in cracking my ankle. But it is irritating to some. We know that with all those flaws, all the little things that we might do to irritate each other, we still have each other. And if we have that peace that rules within our hearts that we'll talk about at the very end of this lesson, ruling us in how we live with one another, wow, what a blessing we have. An absolute blessing being in Christ Jesus. And so we'll look at that. And ultimately, that's the peace that will rule us that gives us a very clear understanding of how we can live with joy. And so I want us to, to note this joy of being in Christ. I want, want us to, to see what takes place? First of all, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And I want us to look at a passage that is very familiar. We might have known it from John 3.16, but Luke 2 gives us in similar fashion this point that's being made. And see if this does not help shape our attitude in the way we are in service to the Lord. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. In regard to the birth of our Savior, it says, and Luke writes, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, this may not mean much to, to many of us, but imagine being a Jew. And you're waiting for the coming of the Lord. You're waiting for the Messiah's arrival. And if you knew Judaism and the, the whole history of the Jews, they used to go from looking and, and reading at the Scripture, waiting for the next revelation that would come through one of the prophets. But there came a time when they realized God stopped speaking to them by way of prophets. And their attitude and the way they look at Scripture and the way they were waiting upon the Lord began to shift. So that it turned from waiting for revelation from God to, guess what, it's all we have, let's take what we have and 
what can we glean from this? And one of the great things they had as their consolation of living through this world was waiting on the Messiah. They couldn't wait for His return. And here then comes this angel of the Lord and says to these shepherds in the country, good news has come. The Christ who you've been waiting for, that Messiah that you've been waiting for, He's come. God wanted us. It was His pleasure, it was His good desire, read Ephesians 1, to bring us His Son. It's an amazing thing. He did that so that we would have joy in Him. Joy in the Son of our Savior. And so we know then that because of this salvation, we can take consolation, in fact, great joy, knowing we're saved from this body of sin. We go from bondage to freedom. Isn't that what Romans chapter 6 dealing with? That to those who have been baptized into Christ, those who are able to walk in newness of life, no longer are we slaves to the bondage of sin, but we're slaves to freedom in Christ, that is to righteousness. That's what we have in Christ. What a great thing. I know for many who love the Lord, they're still in this bondage. They're stuck because of sin. And they can't get over that. They don't understand what Christ has done for them that would actually change their minds, transform their hearts and minds so that they can walk with the Lord with such great joy. They live in fear. They live with question marks about whether or not they're going to, to be with God in heaven if they were to die right now. But those who are in Christ, those who understand that I've been saved by His blood, that God gave me His Son, look at what we have. Freedom in Christ. Brethren, that shapes my heart. It shapes the way I live every day. It ought to shape every one of us in the same fashion. And the thing is, that we know then because of this salvation, nothing's going to keep us from our God. Remember that passage in, in Romans chapter 8? Look at verse 28, what he says. Wonderful text. This should give us great consolation in how we live our lives. We know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. To those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. I mean, that is as good as it gets for those who are in the Lord, for those who love Him and walk with Him. There's that joy knowing that you're in Christ and have His salvation. Now, that should shape your life. I'll give you one example. I worked in a place that was called Mid-Nebraska Mental Retardation Services outside of Kearney, Nebraska, in a place called Grand Island, back in the late 80s. And I remember that when I was interviewed for the job there, I'd heard that there was a high turnover rate. People came in, and no sooner they came in, they went out. It was just very high stress. And so I got in and I started working and I knew it was only going to be for, for a year or so because of my college um, situation. But I enjoyed it. And someone brought me to the office. It was the manager and said, why do you come in here every single day with a smile on your face? 
<laughs> and all I could do is just get a bigger smile, you know. And I said, I have the Lord in my life. That's all she needed to hear for us to have a Bible study and for her to hear the gospel. That joy did not necessarily mean that smile was on 24-7. But she saw a peace that existed. And that peace is because when you walk with the Lord, knowing that you're saved by the blood of Jesus, how else do you walk? Even when things come on you, it's almost like it just bounces right off of you. It might hurt. You still have painful times. But it bounces off knowing there is so much greater beyond this life. Full of sin, full of sorrow, full of pain, turmoil, things that bring you heartache, it soon bounces off because you know there's something greater. That's that joy we're talking about. And now we can begin to imagine what it's like to be an apostle of the Lord with a friend of his who happens to be a wonderful Christian and both in service of the Lord can be in prison singing hymns when they've been wronged. That's joy. The other thing that we can have is knowing that we share our lives with each other. We are told in, in Old Testament Scriptures that two are better than one and three make a strong cord. That friendship that we have in Christ, that brother and sister relationship that's found much thicker than blood. Because blood perishes, right? But that relationship they have that comes through Jesus Christ is there. And it's so beautiful to see when brethren behave as close-knit families are. But we have that knowing we can share it with faithful brethren. We know that we don't walk alone. Can you imagine being a newborn babe in Christ, having learned, just like as given in Acts chapter 2, when you read of those 3,000 that were saved that day? Immediately, they had this common bond. And many of these brethren came from long distances and you know, when they came, they only came for a temporary period of time. They only knew they were going to be in Jerusalem for a set period of time before they go back to their homeland. But after having obeyed the gospel, they linger on in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you live here long enough, you're going to run out of your supplies. You run out of your money, if you will. We don't have it where back then they didn't just go to an ATM machine and say, okay, let me catch out another few uh, lamb <laughs> that I can use to, um, to live on for, for what I'm here in Jerusalem. But what they had were brethren that did live there, that had means, and they shared with one another everything that they had. That's an amazing amount of generosity for people that really, while they were Jews before and then became children of God through the blood of Jesus, they might not have known each other. Many of them would. And many of them would not. And yet they would all be together as one. That's what you read of when you're reading Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Notice these words again as we read them. He says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you suppose that that in addition to the message of salvation, people were looking at this very close-knit group and wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God? You better believe that's what happened. I mean, people did the gospel for many reasons. 
Some immature, some very spiritually minded, but they obey the gospel. And some, when they come to the congregation here in Franklin, if they see brothers and sisters in Christ who genuinely love each other, not just show up for some service, but interact in each other's lives, do you suppose that they want that? I have known those brothers and sisters in Christ who had obeyed the gospel of the earth and said, I wonder what you all have. Let me reverse that around. Have you ever known brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have obeyed the gospel for all the right reasons, ever turn away from the Lord because the body of Christ was divisive, full of faction? You see, there's joy when we know we have each other and exercise that brotherly love toward one another. There's that joy that we know we can have. And so, because we are a close-knit family and should be a close-knit family, how are we going to behave with one another? Do we rejoice when, in a bad economy, there's a brother or sister in the Lord who gets a new job? Or do we get jealous because, well, I don't have one, or mine is not as good as theirs for whatever the word good means? We ought to rejoice, right? That's what we have because we're in the Lord. When someone is hurting because they've lost a loved one, or maybe because of their stand for the Lord, they lost their job. Or their stand for the Lord, they lose a loved one. Do we hurt with them? I would like to think we do. That's what a family does. And that's a joy that we have. That's consolation. I'll give you this as another illustration. When I was back in Missouri, my family asked me, Mitch, I know you left Fayetteville, Georgia. I know how much you love them and we visited there. We know how wonderful those Christians are. You've gone to a new place. What is it like there? And I was so pleased to share with them the joy that I have being in Christ that I could go to Franklin, Tennessee and have brothers and sisters in Christ who came out from everywhere, filled up our house with hundreds of boxes and a very hard, sweaty labor and made meals for our family, stocked the refrigerator, stocked the pantries, did all kinds of wonderful things beyond that every single day, knowing that there was a funeral coming, have a brother and sister in Christ bring a meal to our family. I mean, just things, things that they looked at me and said, but they don't know you. And I said, we're family in the Lord. And it shook their minds. I remember my dad just looking at me with this quizzical look like, how is that possible? I said, because we're in Christ. It's a wonderful thing, brethren. Now, I say that knowing that not everyone has these situations happen to them. And sometimes it's because I don't let you in my life. That may be the reason why I'm not experiencing these joys. I know it happens to brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes, you know, we have angst against one another. You know, there are times when we say, well, how is it that you have this joy? Well, how do I attain that? That's what I want in my life. How is it that when, when I'm faced with inconveniences, when, when my life is full of stress, when I have bad things happen to me, when I'm not doing anything to harm them, how do I develop that kind of joy? 
Well, I honestly believe that the easy thing for us to do is when someone does something wrong against us, the natural reaction is the flesh. Get upset with them. Be angry against them. Maybe let them have it. Because they deserve it, right? That's the mindset we might have. But that does not bring us joy. There's no satisfaction. If there is satisfaction in that, you got something wrong. If he takes satisfaction in retaliating against someone, it may be a natural reaction, but it's not a one that's going to bring joy in your life, the service to the Lord. It's not going to be out of good pleasure in, in service to our God. These are, according to Galatians 5, verse 20, the works of the flesh. You will not inherit the kingdom of God with that life. But when you reverse that and attain this joy, you do it because you are in the Lord, knowing what He has done for you, knowing what He provides for you every single day, and that helps you to manifest the way you live your life. You willingly submit yourself to His sovereignty, His Lordship. In other words, if you get it in your head that here is your God, and you are as low as can be, before Him. You willingly submit to His headship. What does He provide? Everything that brings eternal joy. What does that mean? That means when you walk with the Lord, there are going to be hardships that come your way. And it is a refinement of your character to go through those hardships. It really is. That's what you have. Many of us, we don't want to submit. We have a hard time submitting to other people, let alone the Lord. And when we do that, we have difficulty. When you look at Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to turn there. And notice the text here. And notice the kind of submission that takes place. Look at what he says here in verse verse 21. He tells them how to walk. And he summarizes everything at the end and says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And he moves from that mindset of submitting to one another to the husband-wife relationship. He says to the wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He says to the husbands, love and cherish your wife the way the Lord loves and cherishes His church, His bride. Most marriages that are very joyous, you'll see a husband loving and cherishing his wife. You'll see wives willingly, now get this, this is the Word of God saying this, willingly submitting to the headship of their husband. And there is joy in that. That's just upside down in this world today. Many within the body of Christ have been listening to the world so much they forget passages like Ephesians 5, verse 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. And no wonder we don't have this joy. But look at marriages that have great joy. If they're selfless, they give themselves to the way God wants them to live, that you are living the way God wants you to live as a husband, as a wife, as a brother or sister in Christ. Look at what happens to the body of Christ. Look at what happens to marriages you have a joy that you're attained to. You do it because you want to follow in His footsteps. Here is our Savior. He goes to the cross, a cross that caused His mother to cry, caused His disciples to weep, but ultimately because of that submission that He had 
of His Father's Lordship, it brought us joy. Brought the Father good pleasure. Now what happens when we live for the Lord? Let me give you one more illustration. There was a time when when I was going into, um, potentially into the, the streets of Bogota. But before I went, I wanted to let the elders in Georgia know, in, in, in Fayetteville, Georgia, know I'm going to go to where there's uh, military presence. The rebels, if you will. Paramilitary. And, and it's dangerous. Please pray for me. And share this with the congregation. When I got back, I was told by some of the brethren, what were you thinking? You have, you have five children. You have a wife. You need to be mindful of them. I said, you know, I have every assurance that God will provide for them. Yes, we know that, but... I said, I have a peace. I'm ready to meet my God. And I honestly say that right now in front of you. There's a peace. That with six children now, I can go see my father. And it's okay then to go into a place that is known as dangerous. Like downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Like East St. Louis, Illinois. Like downtown Atlanta at 12 o'clock at night. For whatever reason that you are there for, well, good reasons I'm giving. <laughs> You're at these locations, and you can face the Lord. Knowing that it's your last day, not that you're trying to get yourself in trouble. You're not trying to kill yourself. You're not trying to do anything suicidal from that standpoint. You're, you're doing things because you love souls. There's a peace. My Savior went into Jerusalem knowing he was to have his life given up. And some might not make that correlation saying, well, but we're not Jesus. Well, we're not, but we're supposed to walk in His footsteps. And what we don't understand in this country, that many Christians understand in other countries right now, brethren, is that they walk literally in the footsteps of Jesus. They walk into places preaching the gospel, knowing they may be imprisoned for the remainder of their lives. Knowing they may be killed Try going and preach the gospel in North Korea right now. Try crossing the river into the country with a Bible in your hand. You will be killed. If you're not, you're a rare exception. Do you know that there are Christians willing to do that so the gospel can be preached? Why do they do that? Unless they know they have this peace. Unless they can have this absolute, incomprehensible, from a worldly standpoint, joy that God is desiring us to have. So that we can go into a situation and having been wronged, maybe even jailed, sing hymns to God. Brethren, how many of you would be willing and not be embarrassed to pick me up from jail? Because I had been in prison once. I'm going to mislead you for just a moment. About 11 years ago, I had been in prison. It wasn't preaching the gospel. It was because I didn't have my insurance. <laughs> Taken into jail, I thought, well, this is not really like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I mean, he was for preaching the gospel, but 
You know what I'm going to do while I'm here? I'm going to teach the gospel to everyone in this jail. And so I had the opportunity when I was with the jailers. They said, well, listen, we know that, really. I know the state law now is you get you get in prison if uh, or jail, you know, until you get bond or whatever. Would you like to just stay with us? Because it's kind of nasty in, in those jails. <laughs> I was like, hey, if you're letting me stay out here with you guys, more power, thank you. <laughs> and teach the gospel to them. How wonderful. I didn't have to be upset that, you know what, is because of my neighbor and I could blame him or because of the insurance company. This is a situation. Make the best of it. I want to follow in the footsteps of my Savior. Brethren, when we have that mindset, how wonderful our walk is with the Lord. And get what? Get, get this. If we try to live with each other, edifying another, preferring one another, what do you suppose happens to the work right here? What do you suppose happens to the relationships of brethren? When we strive to have harmony. We don't strive to pick at each other or to nitpick at one another. We strive to build up. Now, some of us like to nitpick and be goofy about that stuff, but you know what? When you get to know the person deep down, there's genuine love. There's genuine care. And then you can tolerate all the nitpicking. You can handle all the goofball things that I know are coming my way as I've been told and warned many times. And you know it's out of just joy. Having a wonderful relationship with each other. We can do that. But we strive to live in harmony, brethren. And guess what? Life gets so much better. Our walk with the Lord so much more wonderful than we could have imagined. That's what happens when we live in harmony with each other. I want you to look at Colossians 3.15. We'll finish with this passage. Here is the character of someone who has given himself to the Lord because he's been saved by the blood of Jesus and he's walking worthy of the calling in fellowship with one another. Paul says to the brethren at Colossae in verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body and be thankful. It's that peace of God that rules in your hearts. What is that peace of God? How does that happen? You know, when Jesus submitted himself willingly to his Father and died on the cross, that blood that was shed, that body that was sacrificed, actually brought you peace with God? It is that reconciliation where you were an enemy of God, an alien from God, to now you are a child of God, you are a friend of God, you have fellowship with God, it's that very peace that needs to rule your hearts. That if God can bring you that kind of peace, that reconciliation, that's the way you need to be toward one another. Let that rule you. And when it does, it brings great joy. It allows you to live the kind of life that you wanted to live. It allows you to be just like the brethren were in Acts chapter 15 when they were able to work through their differences like you need to be circumcised. 
And brethren saying, no, you tell these Gentiles, here's what you do. And when all the brethren understood, they rejoiced. And they were one. Now, we can read later on that more brethren still needed to learn that lesson. That's why we have these letters that were written by the apostles and such. You can also rejoice when you're suffering in service to the Lord. Just as we were speaking of in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas were singing hymns to the Lord and then reaching the gospel out to a jailer and anyone else who would listen. We can do exactly what Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 5 and verses 10 and 11. That we can be peacemakers and that we can be persecuted for the cause of Christ and blessed is the one who does so. There's a peace that rules his life. Because he does so in the name of service to the Lord. And as a result, then, we will have this peace ruling in us. That's, that's what Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 8. Think on these things, whatever things are pure, noble, and worthy. Well, you can only do that if the peace of God rules your heart. So, brethren, I want you to think on these things real carefully. 